Welcome, guys, to the Cup of Nurses podcast with your hosts, Peter Fendero and myself, Matt Slarczyk. This is a podcast where we tackle current health news and hot nursing topics one conversation at a time. Thank you guys for listening, following, and sharing all of our episodes. If you guys find any value in this podcast, please give us a review, follow, share. We appreciate it. We are trying to grow this podcast, and you wouldn't believe how much it helps us if you smash the five stars, gets us ranked, and it discovers... People discover us, and we are able to grow more organically and keep on producing this high-quality content that hypes us up. Ladies and gentlemen, we are recording in San Fran today. Beautiful city. Beautiful city. Different setup. Unfortunate events. Unfortunate events. We got a window broken into. Again. Again, for the second time in San Francisco. Love this city, but yeah, it just has a bad rep for what's going on. Nice city. It doesn't like our vibes, man. Yeah, man. For For some reason, just people just, yeah, we just always pull up to the city. We had a Jeep last time. This one, we had a giant Chevy Tahoe. I guess it just looked like a nice vehicle, too. It looks nice, dude. If, if I was a, a person that's going to rob some stuff, I would definitely would have picked this Tahoe, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. And, and luckily, like, nothing, not much got stolen. I lost my backpack and had some stuff in there. Yeah. Sentimental, yeah. I lost my COVID pin, bro. It, it said Frontline Warrior on there or Frontline this, um, something, mm-hmm. COVID-19 fighter, but... Fighter oh, pilot. Well, fighter COVID-19 pilot. Fighter pilot. <laughs> All right, thank you guys for tuning in. Like Matt said, a beautiful intro, like always. So on this episode, we're going to take another look at the COVID-19 case perspective. We're also going to talk about this cool drug that Matt found supposed to treat diabetic foot ulcers and decrease the need for amputations. We're also going to talk about the space race, the race to Mars between us, the United States, China, and UAE. So it's, some stuff is definitely going on. And, dude, space race has been going on for a long time, dude. And, and, and it still just keeps going on, right? It was a race to the moon. Like, there was a point in time where it was, like, space, and then it was, like, nothing. It and now it's space again. Bit, yep. Now it was, like, the moon. Once you get to the moon, that's it. That, that was, like, the benchmark. Now the benchmark is Mars. It's crazy yeah. to look how that has changed, like, just, all throughout these years. Just in general, like, the whole alien thing is, like, a form of religion in our society, right? Mm-hmm. We're all talking about aliens. They might be coming. Who are they? When are, going, when are we going to declassify that? And I feel like that's always topics that are always circulating on the web. Yeah. So first we'll dive into the case perspectives. So we were looking at some stats with COVID-19, specifically here in, in this setting, we looked at Albuquerque, New Mexico, because they had only 13 new COVID deaths reported in like a one week span or one month span. And we kind of took a look at what do we see in these, in these 13 deaths, right? Yeah, so this is just like a random news report just to mm-hmm. kind of dive into a random city and actually like break down these cases and who's actually passing away from COVID. Yeah, and why we chose this is because 13 isn't a really a valid number for like a study or anything like that, but it's valid in the sense of getting a perspective, right? Because it's hard for us to imagine thousands of, of deaths, right? And then break them down into age groups, things like that. It takes a lot, of, a lot of work, right? It takes more effort compared to looking at just 13 and kind of see what the trend is. So yeah. regarding these 13 new deaths, we have it written down here. One death was a 20-year-old with underlying conditions. Another one was a 50-year-old with also underlying conditions from a nursing home. One death of a six-year-old with underlying conditions. And then four 70-year-olds died, four 80-year-olds, and two 90-year-olds from nursing homes. So this just shows you on like a smaller scale on how, how these deaths are actually occurring. Well, not necessarily occurring, but how these deaths are being recorded and being tracked, right? Because the majority of people you see that are dying here are above the age of 70. 70. Right? More than 50%. Underlying conditions mm-hmm. are 100% of these cases, mm-hmm. right? And then we have two from the nursing homes. Just to give you a perspective. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it just seems like the patients that are passing away, just like we always mention, have 
something already wrong with them. Something mm. is already in a disease process that's already, you know, decreasing their quality of life, and mm. then this just like is the cherry on top. Yeah, that's what's so interesting. It's just like because, of course, for a study we like these giant numbers, yeah. but it's hard for us to look at these giant numbers just like, like like me and Matt and find a correlation and things. But if you look at the thirteen, this actually is a decent perspective into what's going on as a whole in, in like the U.S. for the most part. There's always, like Matt said, there's always underlying conditions, and all these thirteen deaths, they all had underlying conditions. And you know, five of them or six of them were from nursing homes, and then the rest were above the age of seventy, right? So that's yeah. kind of like, and it's flu season too. So this is like a typical, this is like a typical rational explanation for how death progresses in general, right? This is how people also kind of die in society. If you think about it, right? Yeah. Majority of, of your deaths are going to be within the elderly, right? Then you have like one or two that are, you know, kind of crazy accidents. Things happen earlier in twenties, thirties, forties, and you also hear that one guy that dies in the fifties, sixties. You know, but majority for above the age of seventy, like, and above that age group, there's gonna be a lot more deaths in in that age group compared to all the other ones, right? Yeah. This is kind of what we see with COVID nineteen as well. And once all the data comes out, like we'll have a whole episode and we'll talk about like the deaths from twenty nineteen compared to twenty twenty. Mm. What has changed? Was there an increase in deaths? Because I think, from my understanding, the deaths had stayed the same, yeah. like from year to year. Yeah, because we looked at a study. This is on this episode, but we looked at a study a few weeks ago, and it showed that the amount of deaths was either the, the same or less. But where these deaths are occurring is um, is has changed. Yeah. So we did a pretty good. They said we had a decrease in deaths re- uh, related to like heart disease things like that. So we did take a little bit of a better stance on that and diabetes than we did the years prior. But now what kind of evened it out is is like COVID-19 deaths. So they're saying that the amount of deaths that are happening is a rational estimate of amount of deaths. But instead of people dying from heart disease, things like that, we had an increase in people dying from like the COVID-19 infections. So the the trend of deaths is still on the same, hitting the same hallmark and stuff, but just people are dying from different things now. Yeah, different things. Mm -hmm. For example, hey, we're not going outside as much. There might be a decrease in motor vehicle accidents, Mm -hmm. but yeah, there's an increase in deaths of this. Yeah. What I'm also curious about is, um, speaking of deaths and stuff and all this vaccination rollout, is how fast are we actually approaching herd immunity? So you were talking about that the estimates that we're getting on these cases, there's probably a lot more infected people than we thought mm. because we under-tested for such a long period of time, right? Yeah. Would, would you um, concur on that? Uh, under-testing, I, I guess. I mean, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but if you got, if the benchmark for testing is everybody tested, then yeah, we're definitely not, not hitting it. Not hitting it, yeah. So if, so if you look at that, so if there's a higher population that's already been infected, already had this, already has antibodies, so now we're going into herd immunity. So both vaccination standpoint, if we're... If we vaccinated over 40, 40 million vials have been distributed from February 7th, right? And then we look at, um, we have to figure out what is a herd immunity percentage that we could get from this virus. So if you look at like measles, I looked this up here. Mm. So if you look at measles, it takes about 95% of the population to be vaccinated to have a herd immunity. And that protects the other 5%. If you look at the threshold for polio, you need a vaccinated population of 80% to achieve herd immunity. Mm. So I wonder what the vaccination requirements are going to be both, you know, infected and vaccinated to achieve this herd immunity from this virus so we can kind of put it behind ourselves mm-hmm. for for this year. Yeah, which would be, I feel like to get a good result and a good sample for that, like the ideal one would be, Obviously, test everybody. Yeah. Because then you'd be able to know who got vaccinated and who has immunity through the vaccine versus who has immunity just through natural immune response, right? Yeah. Because 
if they say something like this, like, hey, we only have to vaccinate 40% of the population because this, this infection spread so quickly that by the time we vaccinate 40%, guess what? 80% is going to have it. Yeah. And all we need is 80% to have herd immunity. Then, you know, that's, that's, that would be pretty, pretty interesting to, to like see. Yeah. If like all we have to do is vaccinate 40% vaccine of the population to keep them safe and the other, other 40% will basically get immunity within their natural immune response and those combined is enough for herd immunity, like that would be pretty cool to see. Yeah, because, yeah, I'm just thinking about it because mm-hmm. it seems legit if you have infected and vaccinated people, you're already, achieving some, yeah, you're already achieving some kind of barrier mm-hmm. where the society that is not infected is going to transmit some kind of immunity against this mm-hmm. and it's going to sp- slow the spread. So it'd be cool if vaccines could be used to quicken herd immunity. They, they technically like, you know, they do, right? They, 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 they should, but they're trying to impose vaccination on everybody for the most yes, part, right? As yes. much people as possible, but it's because that, that makes them you know, make more money. So instead of saying, hey, all we have to do is vaccinate 40% of the population, they're not going to stop it at that. They're going to say, you know, we can vaccinate as much as we can, you know. Yeah. But if the studies are showing that all we need to do is 40% because then the other 40 is going to get immune to it by themselves, then that will be a lot more beneficial. But no yeah. one's going to go Because if you look at World Health Organization, they support mm-hmm. achieving herd immunity through vaccinations. But it's just through vaccinations. Just. You know? so, yeah. so that's that's their benchmark. Yeah. They don't want people to die, right? So they don't want the disease to spread and segment the population because it's going to cause right. unnecessary deaths. I mean, yes. So when they say that, that means if the research shows that we need 80% immune people to protect the other 20, that means they're going to want to vaccinate 80%. Yes. Because you're taking into consideration the amount of people that didn't get vaccinated and are already immune to it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So they're going to push the vaccine 80% no matter what. Instead of saying, hey, all we need to do is 40% vaccination because only 40 is already immune. Then I can, we're not going to go that route, you know? Because yeah. if you look at NPR here, there's a model that scientists, researchers estimated that more than one third of the US population has been already infected. Yeah. So they were saying, so like the standard re- reported amount of people infected in the US is 8%, you know, but that's not very accurate because we haven't tested the whole US, right? So we can't yeah. get 100% of the results. So we've only tested a small portion of the United States, right? So 8% out of those tested have shown to have been infected, right? But like Matt said, we haven't tested everybody yet. So some of the, the models that are out there right now are showing that that 8% is not the correct amount of people that are already immune to yeah. COVID-19. They're actually saying it's in the 30, 30%, 35%, 36%, you know, because we're not testing everybody. Only 8% of people that we tested have been basically shown to be infected, right? So, yeah. So but they're saying it's about 30. That's crazy. So, yeah, from a logical standpoint, just looking at this, it seems like this year this is just going to be all over, mm-hmm. right? If, if we're doing such a good job here, this virus is just going to be another just yearly maybe seasonal thing yeah. I, don't, I don't know i'm guys i'm speculating here grain of salt as always you know what i mean like I'm, I'm just using my best judgment from this data that i'm gathering here it seems like we got this situation under control yeah i mean regarding this model that was done in columbia you know institute of technology or whatever school that is it's february and they're saying already 36 percent of the population has already got COVID 19 so when one year comes around in March, it should be like, what, 40%, maybe a little yeah. bit higher. And if you want to vaccinate, you know, 60% of the population plus, which is I'm undervaluing that, mm-hmm. they want to get a lot more vials in, it seems like we're, yeah, we're going to be good. 2020 should be the year. But now it, 2021 is the year. But now the question is, is how much of the new norm will we get back? Yeah, this, I mean, who knows? This is the million dollar question that I want to know. Yeah. How much more back can we go? Because the previous episode, we talked about masks. 
that might be a standard practice in the hospitals. Yeah. Where do masks stand in society? Where do lockdowns stand now? You know, uh, where do we stand when the, a new strain of this coronavirus comes out? Do we need to start getting booster shots now? Like these are the questions that I have for the next upcoming months. So I'm curious. We might, but I don't think you're gonna get those answers in upcoming months. You know, especially the ones with, new, with the new strains. Yeah, that's gonna probably take probably at least another year to figure out. But the whole mask thing, like I hope. If they require masks in a hospital, I'm okay with that. Like, I'm, I'm okay to wear, to wear a mask. I understand, you know, new infection, you know, we're not sure what's what's out there, so is it gonna be safe and wear masks from patient to patient's room, you know? Like, I'm okay with that. The only issue is gonna, it's gonna get super annoying, it's gonna bother some is if it gets implemented to society as well, where everybody just starts wearing masks. Because in a hospital, we wear gloves around every patient, right? We don't do that in society. Yes. And like Kevin was saying a couple episodes ago that um, he talked to a few nurses that were nurses during the they were calling it the HIV pandemic yeah, yeah, or the HIV potential, where that's when gloves became standard practice in hospitals. So now, because of COVID-19, you know, masks might be standard practice in hospitals, which I'm okay with, like, that's fine. We can do that because, to be honest, we're not sure what we could transmit to people and what people can transmit to, to us. This just shows us how crazy it is, right? A very, which makes sense. A very good example is just go look at the Super Bowl, Super Bowl ads, which I haven't looked at personally because I didn't watch it, and just see the commercials and what kind of, like, values they want to instill in us. What's the push for society in a way? Because like, for example, on Twitter, supposedly <laughs> Tom Brady was getting a lot of beef that he was uh, maskless and he's mm -hmm. being a bad role model for our society, that he's using his platform wrong. I mean, he's, he's, he's using his platform the way he wants yeah. to. Yeah, he's, he's a quarterback. If you're taking medical advice from a, from a quarterback of Tampa Bay Buccaneers, like you should probably look somewhere else for your facts. Yeah. yeah, I, I just yeah. don't like the fact that like in our society, everyone is wearing them. I, I know what they're, I'm not anti-masker, this is just my perspective, is that like, we all just feel sick. Like we feel so disconnected from everybody. It's so weird, dude. Like we can't even make eye contact with people. Did you realize how bad eye contact is as well? Now you got I mean, this- I think eye contact has improved. It has. No, it has not. You think well, it has? I think it has. Really? Yeah. I, everybody just looked down. I don't know if I'm intimidating or something, dude, but- No, I'm just being a baby, dude. You think I'm being a baby? Yeah. For sure, man. <laughs> no, I think eye contact has definitely increased. I feel like more people look in your eyes now than before because they have nowhere else to look. Like, you know? Like, we can look at someone's masks. Like, I guess some, some people look at my, like my mask and... People look down in a way far too often. But people always look down. Like, it's, it's not, it's not like... I think you have the viewpoint where you're kind of almost on your bias at this point. I could be. And, or maybe I'm on my bias, I don't know. But like, I feel like people are definitely looking at me more than, than, than before, I feel like. Because there's like, it's just like eyes to look at. Yeah. yeah, or maybe it could be skewed because now, now the same amount of people are still looking at me, but now that they're looking at my eyes, maybe I'm picking it up more. That could be it too. I mean, I don't know. We got some some studies here. Yeah. Maybe next episode. Maybe next news. Are people looking at each other's faces more often than before? If there's something like that, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm sure, there's somebody's figured that out. Probably do like a sample of a hundred walkthroughs or a thousand walkthroughs. Like, look at. It's actually easy. Actually, we could do this, dude. We could literally get a notebook or use our phones, and we could look a thousand people in their eyes. And write that write it down down. One for this column, one for the other column. Who looked who looked at us, who didn't? Yeah. Like, I'm not down that. for that study. Couple, couple it's way too long. No, it's too quick. You just go to the store, look at keep looking at people and just hit, you know, one button here, one button there. They look in your eyes, they didn't. It's actually really simple to do. You know, we I could like, do it on the go. We could do it probably right now. We could just go shopping, get some food, look at at least hundred people in San Francisco. Let's do it. So we're, jump, probably, we're probably not gonna do it, but jumping into the next topic here. So diabetic foot ulcers. Uh, diabetic foot ulcers is probably the, one of the most complicated, severe complications you can get of diabetes. Eventually, this 
diabetes they develop develops a foot ulcer, which approximately affects 15-20% of the population that's diabetic, and it leads to foot amputations. I've seen it way too often. They're gross. People like lose a toe, people lose two fingers, then they lose half, they do metatarsal, then they do BKA sometimes, and it's just so sad, man. There's wounds that don't heal. A lot of times I see them by the ankles, or on the bottom of the heels, like the back of the heel, dude, and they're like, you change dressing and it's like always looks the same. It just doesn't heal, dude. Yeah. It just doesn't. Doesn't want. It just stays there and then it gets like, slowly gets worse and worse. But you don't see it get worse in the hospital because they're usually here for like, maybe like a few weeks at a time. So you don't see it. But this, every day you come in, every week you come in, it just looks the same. Like everything you do to it, it just doesn't want to heal. Yeah. And like the standard practice, like we always do maybe silver gels or we do special dressing. Sometimes we do... Uh, what is it called? The wound vax for negative pressure to suck out and help with like healing. Um, there's even hyperbariatric chambers, which is probably more advanced than not a lot of people get that. Mm -hmm. And then there's the surgical where sometimes they try to revascularize either the, the vasculature or yes, debriding the actual wound to promote wound healing. Mm -hmm. And if that doesn't work, we get into amputations. And why does that happen? So people that, that have... Um, Diabetic foot ulcers, they get um, neuropathy, uh, which is nerve damage that gets damaged by increased blood sugar levels. And due to this nerve damage, uh, you lose your sensation to your feet. So diabetics don't feel as much. They don't feel as much pain. If you get a cut or a wound on your freaking damn toe, your foot, you don't feel any of that stuff. Tight shoes, it goes unnoticed. What happens is you get blisters, you get serious infections, and when it gets messed up is when these infections go into your bones and you get osteomyelitis. Mm, that's the worst. Yeah, we try to do antibiotics. Usually we can't save the bone and it's painful and we just amputate. Yeah, that's, man, that's where I probably had, I think, let's see, two fresh, fresh amputations. One was due to, you know, this diabetic foot ultra stuff and one was, just, I don't know, he had like, that has nothing to do with diabetes, but he had like a infection he was he went septic and he he was recovered, but that sepsis caused him to have like a, some kind of a bone infection, and then from there he like that part of bone became brittle and we had to cut it off. It was it was fucking wild, but, but yeah. But diabetic foot ulcers are definitely some nasty. But you look up some cool ass medication or right? some cool treatment. Herbert Prot P from Cuba. Yeah. So the yeah, I met a perfusionist. He's told me about this. How we we don't have this drug in our country due to the. Um, American and Cuban um, embargo deal, which prevents exporting it, prevents any business from being done since like 19, I believe 60 something. So 1960s, because of the whole missile crisis, like our economy is not open to Cuba and they developed this drug called a Herbert, yeah, dash P, or is it called the Herbert Prop? Mm -hmm. And it's uh, made in Cuba since 2007. Uh, what it does, it actually works on, instead of like promoting wound healing or something, what it does is they've noticed that diabetics have decreased growth factor concentrations. So they, they make this epidural growth factor that gets injected into the actual wound itself and it stimulates wound healing and it actually prevents chronic wounds from actually healing up finally. It helps with um, granulations, correct? We'll go into the percentages mm -hmm. and it prevents these ischemic foot ulcers, which is probably the one of the biggest reasons why amputations happen, right? Um, looking at the there on their website, there what's it called? Stats from about 160,000 diabetic foot ulcers, Herbert Prop P was able to successfully reduce amputations by 77%. Yeah, 
That's fascinating, man. Mm. That, that's great because we don't we don't have such success rate. Mm. And if you look at like the research of how much it takes to actually treat a diabetic foot ulcer in the hospital, it ranges anywhere from ten to sixty thousand. Mm. Yeah, and that's just standard. That's not that's not talking about surgical amputations and things like that. Just yeah. the treatments that we do post or pre, I should say, amputations. Mm. Yeah. And type of therapy, this is what they're calling as EGF, infiltration therapy. This is what this medication basically does. And same study that Matt looked at, I'll go in a little more detail because I looked at it as well. And it said that EGF infiltration increased and accelerated healing in poor prognosis wounds toward a rapid and sustained response. More than 80% granulation was obtained globally with Herbert Prop P in comparison with less than 80% with standard care alone. Of patients treated with Herbert Prop P, at 75, I believe, micrograms, three times per week until complete granulation, so it's about eight weeks. In association with standard care, 77% healed, while only 56 healed with the placebo injections at standard care. So this just shows, so this was just looking at poor prognosis wounds. So this is, as new drug gets developed and stuff like that, guys, a lot of these treatments are, are given to people with poor prognosis. It's kind of how we figure out that it becomes safe because if they have no other options, let's just throw something that's not yet proven and maybe it'll work. So this just showed that, like Matt said before with the numbers, 80% granulation obtained. And full healing occurred in 77% of the people, compared to only 56 that didn't have their herbal product. But this is also a standard of care, so we're using all the, the proper wound dressings, everything like that we're doing standard-wise, but we're also adding on this Herbert Prod P, and it shows to, looks like these numbers, about 20% better than just with the standard care alone. And it's amazing that this medication already activates a mechanism that we already have, you know? We already have this self-healing mechanism to help with the poor prognosis, but it's decreased in diabetics. So there must be some correlation between diabetes, high sugar levels, and the you know, maybe epigenetics, it turns this off. And this injection is literally bringing that back to life. So granulation is when like this healthy red tissue starts populating on the, on the wound. And that's why we do wound debridements. We try to take away that dark tissue that's dead and promote this healthy, healthy tissue from healing. And these results are staggering. Mm, they're nice. And it's cool to look at because we're starting to figure out how to use our own cell mediated responses to produce an outcome or effect that we want. Yes. So imagine how cool it would be because every cell stems from like a blank cell, you could say, like almost like a stem cell, you know? Yeah. So imagine if you could re-engineering the life of cells. If you could bring like a cardiac cell back to its original state when it's in mitosis or myosis or whichever cell division they go through, you know, before it becomes a cardiac cell, before yeah. it becomes a, like, a, like a skeletal cell. Imagine if you're able to re-engineer that. You know, like a, like a back, almost like going back in time. You know, being so, insane. Yeah, I think we have some kind of technology that does that, but I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, but I don't I'm, know if we have that yet. But we, we have stem cells that, that we could implement somewhere. But I don't think we could reverse the cellular aging. Because no, if you reverse cellular aging, aging then we're yeah. basically going, almost going to be immortal. Almost. We're, we're getting there. It's like, it's like the first first block. If you could, re if you could um, reverse a cell's life, that's definitely the first step to being immortal. And being immortal. In hmm. We should hop on that, huh? Well, that that'll be a crazy business, dude. If you figure it out, Matt, we should just ditch all this and just figure out how to re-engineer a cell and reprogram it to be in its baby or most blank form. Look at the market on that, Matt. Everybody yeah, buying you it. You better go on LinkedIn and start looking for some people, man. <laughs> some bio, bio engineers, huh? Maybe next time, after the show. Yeah, I, I like I I also like that technology where mm. it like vacuums stem cells into like this vacuum and. What, what they do, but this is more for burn patients. They actually have this vacuum gun and they spray it onto the, the burn sites 
and these stem cells directly go on the skin and you start mm. creating new skin. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. What's the, you know what the success rate for that is? I do not. I think it's super high, but it's supposed to be like really beneficial. It's expensive because we don't have a lot of stem cells to like do that kind of stuff, I'm guessing. Or the manufacturing hasn't been up to like that standard. Yeah, even hyperbaric oxygen. Mm. I know that is very effective in um, wounds, but I think it's just very expensive at the moment to do this. Now mm -hmm. a lot of patients have access to it. You know, even if you look at all the diabetics that I've dealt with, how often do you hear that they got like hyperbariatric treatment? They don't. They yeah. just get, you know, they get these wound dressings, but they can. Yeah, it's it's all maintenance, man. You, like people just don't take care of it. It leads to these bad mm. examples. I've seen it way too often, man. Uh, there's even this guy that like, just imagine having these patients sometimes at the hospital that they, both of their legs are amputated. They have like multi-resistant infections. Like that's when you gown up completely MDRO. VRE in the urine MDRO. And it's like fudge, man. It's so sad. Yeah. Life is, I mean, we're, we've given a pretty decent set amount of genetics. Like we're not perfect, you know, like, but like we're very fortunate, you know, in general. Yeah, we're healthy. Making a podcast, talking about a race to Mars here in a second. Yeah, but you're also you're also fortunate because those habits that you have are aligning with what you're doing, correct? Yeah, of course. Like if you were eating processed foods for a month straight and you gained ten pounds, you have the ability to be self-aware to catch that and change those habits so you don't go into the state that other people do. Yeah, but some people don't some, have that. Some people can't catch themselves, and they're is that interesting? They're in that. They're in that. I don't want to call it a rabbit hole, it's just this hamster wheel of just routines. And everybody has it, dude. Yeah. Whether your routine is, I don't know, doing drugs or drinking alcohol. Like you sometimes tell yourself, your roommate voice, like, yeah, this is not good for me, but you're continuing doing it. Mm -hmm. But how often do you still do this every day that you remind yourself to you finally catch yourself like, dude, this is done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to put this down. Yeah. I still, I still think that the most addictive thing in the world is for sure sugar, dude. Like the most sure addicting sugar. thing? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, bro, you just had it's a couple ridiculous, cookies. Dude. I know, I, and I had some not carbs, dude. Carbs and sugar get me, dude. Carbs and sugar know me, know me very well. So, yeah, even if you can, I feel like if you consume sugar for a while, so yeah, we're actually on vacation right now, technically. And it's when we eat, like, crap. And yeah, we've been eating crap a little bit for the past couple of days, bluntly calling it out, right? So I've realized because you consume sugar so often or carbs, you get hooked on it. It's mm -hmm. weird. It's almost like it's almost like you can't focus and concentrate on big tasks and big things because your rep reptilian brain is just craving that next high of sugar in a way. It's like yeah. a dopamine release, dude. It is, dude. Especially the way we're eating, dude. Hell yeah. Like I was hungry today. Like it was noon when I when I had those nachos, and usually I don't get hungry until like maybe three o'clock. I usually struggle through the last hour sometimes, but I was hungry at noon. And we just been piling on carbs and carbs yeah. and carbs. And it's also it comes down to Weak will, willpower. Will, willpower. Like you been can weak. You been can weak put, you can, yeah, you could put it off and you just continue doing it. Yeah. Anyways, the race to Mars. So I feel like in the 1960s we had the race to the moon. Fifty years later, now we're racing to Mars, and it's between three countries that we talked about: China, USA, and UAE. Right. Mm -hmm. So, actually. I don't know who's it. I think the United States is the first country that uh, touched Mars, right? I'm not sure we're the first ones or not, but there's, now, there's now like this probe is landing there, correct? And now this yeah. UAE's probe is going to make it first, actually, February 9th. So on the release of this episode, they actually landed a probe. Mm -hmm. And it's the first of three spacecraft this month. Yeah, it's crazy because they all launched 
we all launched these little probes in July, and they're just reaching March. Like Matt said, UAE is gonna be the first one there. It's called Hope, and it's supposed to reach in the ninth. And then the U.S. is supposed to hit also in February, and then so is China, but in like a week or two. And it's crazy because, like, we spend millions and millions of dollars creating these these things, and according to like the chances of these probes landing is like a 50% chance. It's crazy. So if it doesn't properly land, we're basically losing everything. Yeah, and you're behind you know? a couple of years exactly. of everything you were hoping for. And what's cool about the US one is it has 19 cameras and two microphones. So if it properly lands and properly establishes like its frame and you know mission there, we're going to be able to hear the first sounds on Mars. And it's supposed to be there for about two years. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, and I'm sure they're also gonna take soil samples, but when will that be returned to Earth? Because I believe it takes like, what, four years? Well, on these things, they have already machines to um, give them analytical, analytical like, number, stuff. Yeah, wow, yeah. It's very smart. Yeah, I know, yeah, it's supposed to be real crazy, dude. But this is, yeah, so we're gonna see, dude. We're, we never heard, we never heard on Mars before. What we we don't have noise it makes, yeah. Because they don't have an atmosphere, right? No, there's no atmosphere. So isn't that crazy? Or if there's no atmosphere, that, or it's either no atmosphere or it's, or it's so minute that it doesn't do anything. Because you know, when like comets pass by, shooting stars come by, when they enter our atmosphere, it gets so hot, they, dis they disintegrate basically. But in Mars, yeah. if, a, if you throw a rock from Earth to Mars, it's just gonna hit Mars because it has such a minute atmosphere or it doesn't even have it at all, which is pretty cool, dude. But yeah, it's gonna be cool to discover it because some people are saying that Mars was, was just like Earth at one point. And then something happened and, you know, it lost the atmosphere, atmosphere a giant explosion, who, who knows? Maybe, yeah, maybe, know. maybe the only thing that's keeping us in is this magnetic pole that we have, right? Maybe. Imagine if we lost our magnetic pole. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what the hell will happen. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It, yeah, I'm, gl I'm glad you're saying I don't know instead of coming up know. with something. Like, yeah, we don't have answers because to this. Was, is there a point in time where the poles switch? Or some there shift. There was a shift, yeah. Was there switching poles? Like, it's, it's almost supposed to, crazy supposed to happen and, and I don't know if anything happened or not, but... I feel like you know we're still alive. 2012, so. 2020. Uh, uh, the, the plan for 2030 is to actually have, NASA wants to aim to have some kind of human on Mars in that mm. time frame. That's doable, I think. Who's gonna wanna do it though? You know, you could pay millions of dollars and go to the uh, ISS, International Space Station. Like it's like, there's a cost, I think it's like 100 million or some shit like that. To actually go there? Yeah, to actually go to the space station and be there. But the thing is you gotta, like there's nowhere for you to sleep, so you, you just like sleep there like in just randomly floating. Yeah, and there, there's another article I read on Forbes that in order to colonize Mars, it's going to take as many as 110 humans to be on there to start colonizing it. Yeah. Oh, that's just a random report. Like, we're just, like, speculating here at this point what's going to happen. But if you, like, if you want to, like, look at the future and think about, oh, hey, let's colonize Mars, I think we first have to figure out how to build bases on the moon. Yeah, or somewhere like, even further. We need, we, need, we need to be successful at that because we need some kind of medium. Um, because if you already, I don't know how, see, like. Let's see. We're, we're, we're just talking some shit here on the podcast because we have no idea how all this science stuff works. So, Grain of Salt, guys, is always here with us. So, what they're saying is they launched a probe in July. It's now February. So, it took them seven months to shoot something over to Mars. I feel like we gotta cut that down to like at least a month to be efficient. It has to be. You know? And they're saying by 2030, they might have it, have it down, right? To send a person to space. Yeah. Just to get perspective on how. so. You get perspective on how fast this 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 uh, probe flies is it says the spacecraft or how it flies and then how it has to land. The spacecraft must slow significantly to be captured by Martian gravity. Rota also I guess it does have oh, it's gravity, but no atmosphere. Do you need an atmosphere to have gravity? 
I feel we should brush up on some of our yeah, um, we should, smart yeah. things. I, I feel like we're just talking out of our asses here with no yeah. no research yeah, yeah. or anything. But so. it's still fun. So it has, is fun. It, so has, <laughs> this machine has 27 minutes to slow down from 121,000 kilometers, which is about 75,000 miles, to about 11,000 miles per hour to be able to properly land. That's crazy. That's, that's so fast. 121,000 kilometers, 75,000 miles. That's super fast. I don't even think... How fast does a plane go? Is a plane go that fast? No, no it does not. No that's way. That's way past the Yeah, it's, it's zooming, dude. So yeah, my- And it took this thing seven months to get there, dude. That's wild. Yeah, because the speed of light... I wish I could find out what it is, the speed of light. Right there, 299,700... 299 million m- meters per second. That's insane. Or is it miles per second? So... And, and yeah. is meters or miles? Peter, I have... Honestly, I'm on this Google search and I have no idea what I'm sometimes looking at. Light travels at a constant finite speed of 186 miles a second. So 186,000 miles a second, damn. That's in order to capture the speed of light. So looking at all this, from a a human perspective, in order to make this efficient system, first we have to transition from the way we travel, whether it's airplanes. So we have to start making rockets. So rockets. what? Yeah, we are, and we're testing them. Elon Musk is doing great. I think one got on fire a couple of days ago. Yeah, but, but once we yeah, once we mastered this and commercialized, exploded. Yeah, as soon as we commercialize rockets, and people are going to be tr- getting transported from New York to LA in like in ten minutes because of rockets, then we could finally start doing the whole moon thing, or simultaneously, where we're going to start becoming efficient, where we could start sending out bases to different. Um, different planets in mm-hmm. this case. That'd be cool, go on like a little rocket, just shoot you up, and you go into the atmosphere, and you drop back down to, you know, New York or whatever. Yeah. But the thing is, is, hmm, I mean, I'm no expert here, but it would probably, yeah, I think I could do it, right? I think it makes sense, because well, a plane- What's going on in your brain? You just took like a four second Because I'm thinking yeah. about it, is it quicker to go not as high and just go straight to like from California to, to New York, or more efficient to go up for a little bit and then go back down? You have to be going super fast to go up. And you gotta be, hmm, I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea, dude. I don't know. I've never taken a space class before in my life. I've never taken any kind of space engineering or any kind of yeah, thing like that. That's, that, that's stuff. what sucks about nursing is that we never got into physics as much. I never took a physics yeah. class. I took physics. I like physics. I, I wish I did. Actually, no, I wasn't a physics guy. I was definitely more of a chemistry kind of dude for sure, 100%. Yeah, so we should probably stick to... What we know best, huh? Yeah. So maybe we won't we won't figure out how to get there, but we will be the medics on the plane to keep you alive for your flight from California to New York on a spaceship. Exactly. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? No, oh, man. Cool I think we just talked some shit the last five minutes. I wish you knew more about rockets. Yeah, I would maybe. love to have somebody on the show that Tumble knows rockets. about this. Yeah. Me, Elon Musk, if you're listening, you're welcome on our show whenever, dude. We'll make time for you. You never got a block in our calendar. We'll block into your calendar, dude. Exactly. Yeah. All right, guys. So we talked. What we talked about today? We talked about some COVID cases. Some some numbers looked at them in Albuquerque. They also took a look at some Cuban treatment for diabetic foot ulcers. Herbot P with some special number at the end. Herbot P what? Twenty six or something? Was there a number attached to it or no? No. Herbot P. Just a Herbot dash P. Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. So we talked about Herbot P, a breakthrough in treatment in Cuba for diabetic foot ulcers. We talked about some COVID nineteen cases. We also talked about the space race to Mars between ourselves, China, and UAE. That's about it, guys. See you in the next episode. Peace. Peace.